0: Well, this is the season that historically in, in the church has been called Lent. It's that time of, of preparation, uh, of reflection, uh, pointing to, as, as Brian said just a moment ago, uh, Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and then Resurrection Sunday, uh, Easter uh, Sunday. And as we, we we move toward that on the calendar, I, I wanted us to kind of move spiritually. Uh, and the hope is that we're going to take the next few Few weeks and just focus on the cross, uh, not just that the cross is a past historical event, uh, not just uh, the, the, certainly the saving benefits uh, that uh, secure an eternity for us, uh, but the cross in everyday life, what it means to, to, to look at, to, to reflect on, to live in light of the cross in our everyday life. And in order to do that, I, I want to start off with, with a quote that in some sense helps to kind of frame uh, the entire series, I hope. It comes from Jared Wilson. Jared wrote, the devil doesn't mind a shiny tree it around your neck, so long as it's not a shining treasure in your heart. The devil is not worried about our jewelry, or I think greatly impressed with our window stickers, but what he will try to keep us from is treasuring in the depth of our being the cross of Jesus Christ. And so my desire as we kind of walk through these next few weeks in teaching is, Lord, would you help us to treasure the cross, to treasure it above anything and everything else. And to begin that, I want to take us to a statement that may not be as shocking to us initially as it certainly was to the original readers. Paul wrote a letter to some Christ followers in Galatia. And toward the end of that letter, he was probably perhaps dictating it because toward the end it says, uh, see, kind of uh, I'm writing this in my uh, own hand uh, with large letters. Some think he had some eye conditions. But then in verse 14 of chapter 6, he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Some of you perhaps maybe grew up with a King James version. That was kind of your, the go-to version in your home. Uh, it, it says it even a, a little bit differently. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world Paul's saying I I boast I I glory I, I relish in the cross I find my security my identity my sense of meaning and purpose from the cross of Jesus Christ what used to define me from a world's perspective no longer does I take my boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. He's written this whole letter to kind of combat those who are uh, adding to the work of Jesus Christ of the cross. And he comes and says, I glory, I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a shocking statement, particularly in that day and age, because of what the cross was. I mean, the cross was an instrument of death, but it was even more than that. It was an instrument of humiliation, of shame, of intimidation. I, I tried to think what, it, what in our culture could even, even begin to, to link up with that. And, and probably nothing quite has the same impact. Maybe if you would go back a, a few generations, it might be the equivalent of saying something like, I, I glory in a hangman's noose. Because a hangman's noose was this public thing. And very often it was an instrument not of justice, but of injustice in a, in a lynch-mob setting. When we come to the cross, uh, the cross was, was called the most cruel and disgusting of penalties. Pliny the Younger, a historian, called Christianity a perverse and extravagant superstition because it preached Christ. Crucified. Another historian, Tacitus, called it a pernicious superstition. The cross was incredibly offensive. And if we're going to, to look at the cross, we first need to come to grips with the offense of the cross. The cross was offensive because of what it represented. To be hung on the cross was, was shame. There was a, an instrument of oppression and intimidation, all of these things. And Paul knew that. he knew that the cross was offensive in another letter that he wrote to the corinthians he said for the jews demand signs and greek seeks wisdom but we preach christ crucified and notice what he says about that it's a stumbling block to the jews and folly to the gentiles but to those who are called both jews and greeks christ the power of god and the wisdom of god for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But the cross wasn't just offensive back then, but it is offensive today. And not so much because we we've seen actual human being hanging on the cross, and and we've seen it as an instrument of an an oppressive uh, invader uh, kind of beating us down considerably. But it's offensive because of what it represents. Let me just perhaps let somebody else explain it a a little better. There was a a letter that was written to a a newspaper in Melbourne, Australia, and it was kind of out of some of the work of of Billy Graham. And here's what the, the, the letter said, after hearing Dr. Billy Graham on the air, viewing him on TV, and reading reports and letters concerning him and his mission, I am heartily sick of the type of religion that insists my soul and everyone else's need saving, whatever that means. I have never felt that I was lost, nor do I feel that I daily wallow in the mire of sin, although repetitive preaching insists that I do. Give me a practical religion that teaches gentleness and tolerance, that acknowledges no barriers of color or creed, that remembers the ages and teaches children of goodness and not sin. If in order to save my soul, I must accept such a philosophy as I have recently heard preached, I prefer to remain forever damned. Because the cross is so offensive. Not just because of what it represented in that moment that Paul would write, but what it still represents today. It is an offense to who I am it is an offense to to my deserving to be in a right relationship with god you see in some sense you can can lump every belief system in the world into one of two categories. The first category we might call religion, even if somebody claims to be irreligious, religion of salvation by works. It's a focus on human achievement. And if you go just about to any other religion except genuine faith in Jesus Christ, you would see behind it is some level of human achievement. There are things that I have to do. There are things that I do that appease God, that are in favor with God that earn acceptance with God if I do these things I am accepted by God human achievement makes me right with God or I just human achievement makes me right with the world I don't have a need for God sometimes we 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 kind of talk in this in shorthand we say that this belief system can be summed up uh, in two letters D-O do it is what I do It is what I do to be right with God. It is what I do to control my own life. It's what I do uh, to, to, to make things right with other people. The other belief system, that of an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, is a religion of salvation by faith. It is focused not on human achievement, but on divine accomplishment. Paul wrote about it with these words, Ephesians 2, for by grace... You've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not what you do. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of work, so that no one may... Boast, you cannot boast. He says in your works. The only thing he said that I can boast in is the cross of Jesus Christ. If the first philosophy can be shorthand do do, this philosophy we can give it the shorthand done d o n e. It is not what I do, but it is what Jesus Christ has done, and it is offensive because it says I can't do it on my own. I have a need i can't meet on my own i need a rescue i need a savior i need forgiveness and that is offensive to so many in this world to think that somebody else has any right to have claim over my life it becomes offensive and yet the cross means all of those things so why why would paul say i boast in the cross. I find my identity, I find my security, I find my my meaning and my purpose and my life in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because he knew, he knew that human achievement could never do what Jesus Christ had done. And he who had gone the achievement track and excelled at it came to recognize its emptiness. And only by submitting and glorying and in treasuring the cross of Jesus Christ could he experience the life that God designed him for and created him for. And so I want us to, to even narrow that focus just a little bit more in the moments we have this morning to talk about the freedom of the cross. The freedom of the cross. Uh, And every day as we we live out this this boasting, this treasuring, this glorying in the cross of Jesus Christ, this belief system that it is about divine accomplishment and not human achievement, what does that do for us? And I want to just put it around three thoughts. The first is that the cross addresses not just our acts of sin, but the root idolatries that prompts our behaviors now you may think wait a minute rude idolatries what in the world are we talking about i mean i mean i, I don't i don't i don't have any wooden idols in my house right i, I don't i don't have set up a, a stone pillar or uh, sacrificed anything to some some uh, god out there right and yet idols are talked about consistently in Scripture. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's even a post-resurrection thing. I'll give you a couple examples. John writes, little children, keep yourselves from idols. To the Thessalonians, Paul would write, how you turned. He talks about their life had changed. How you turned to God. What did you turn from? From idols to serve the living and true God. John Calvin famously wrote years ago that the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us, from his mother's womb, expert in inventing idols. What then is an idol? What is that root idolatry? Maybe another way to think about it is what is that sin beneath the sin, the sin beneath those behaviors that perhaps we would label sinful? It's something in creation that claims the place in my heart that only God should have. Romans 1.25 says that we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve the created things rather than the creator. Perhaps uh, one way to think about it is this. An idol is anything in my life more fundamental than God to my happiness, my meaning in life, my security, and my identity. And can we just pause there and say, and this can be a good thing that we've allowed to become an ultimate thing. There are a lot of folks that frequent churches that have taken good things and made them ultimate things. And in that good thing, they found that to be fundamental to their happiness, their meaning in life, their security, and their identity. It is functioning as an idol. Tim Keller describes it this way What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give. Well, let's try to make that perhaps a little more practical. David Paulison and others have, have written extensively on this whole concept of, of rude idolatries, and and they identify at least four, and certainly you could come up with perhaps more or less, But four idols that can drive our behavior, four sins beneath the sin that the cross of Jesus Christ wants to address, wants to set us free from. One of the first idols is, power. It's power. It is power. It is a longing for influence or, or for recognition that, that we, we desire power. We, we want to become like God, right? We want to have this, this power to, to be able to, to be in control. We take security. We have identity and meaning when we are exercising power. Closely aligned with that would be control, right? A longing to have everything go according to my plan oh my just went to meddling right because can we just can anybody, would anybody else like confess that sometimes control becomes an idol thank you for those of you who are honest we'll have an invitation for the rest of you here in a few minutes yeah I have a good plan I like it When life goes according to my plan, I want what I want when I want it. I feel much more secure when everything is going according to my plan. When I feel like, foolish as it is, that I am in control. Sometimes idolatry looks like comfort, just a longing for pleasure. And that pleasure could be a whole lot of different forms. But I just, I want that comfort that pleasure brings. Maybe it's my schedule or my stuff or being able to do what I want to do or just not having life get messed up along the way or interruptions or whatever it may be, but comfort. And then there's approval, a longing to be accepted, a longing to be desired. And, and here, here's the thing, it, it is sometimes very, very hard to f- see clearly the root idolatry underneath the behavior because it's not only bad behaviors that can be driven by idolatry But sometimes what we would look at is good behaviors can be driven by idolatry, can be driven by a a heart that is twisted in human achievement more than divine accomplishment. So uh, let's just take, for instance, somebody that is very desirous of this promotion at work. Uh, And with it goes, obviously, uh, a lot of perks, uh, including uh, an accompanying salary and benefits, And we would certainly look at that and say, there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And that could be. We have to ask, what's driving that? Is it being driven by a power idol that says, I get a bigger salary? It's not because of the money, but because of the status, the recognition that that brings right or maybe it's the control that i feel like if 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 i have more i can save more i can uh, uh, kind of protect myself against all contingencies right i can exercise control or maybe underneath it is a a comfort that this promotion gives me more perks. It gives me more size. It gives me the opportunity to buy newer whatevers and to have those newer toys. And again, is, not, please hear me. I'm not saying that that is wrong. I said, what is it that's driving that? Or for an, an approval idol, it might be that, that if I get this person, it will win me new friends or it will please my parent or my spouse or or some other person that I have set up as, as significant in my life that when I achieve this level, they will be proud of me. And see the problem is that when we function out of idolatry, we're treasuring someone or something more than we're treasuring Christ. And even if initially what behavior shows up is a good behavior, underneath it is a foundation in trouble. So, how do I repent of the idol beneath the surface? If God, it is grace, begins to kind of show me some of these things, how how do I do what John says and keep myself from idols? Thomas Chalmers puts it this way. The best way to overcome the world is not with morality or self-discipline. Christians overcome the world by seeing the beauty and the excellence of Christ. They overcome the world by seeing something more attractive than the world. And that is christ i repent of my idolatry not by looking myself in the mirror and telling myself i can displace it in my energy might or goodness but i repent of my lesser gods by remembering the great god who is above all gods jesus christ at the cross came not just to set us free from behaviors but to set us free from the root idolatries. See, because of the cross, I can submit to his greater power within me. (laughs) I don't don't have to have all the power because I recognize that I am related to the one. I am kept by the one. I am loved by the one who has all power. I recognize that his power is at work within me. I am sealed with his Holy Spirit. And so I begin to submit to a power that is greater than mine. I surrender to his ultimate control. I give up the illusion that I can control everything. And I submit to the one who is in absolute control. The cross enables me and empowers me to be able to do that. I find comfort by remembering that He is the greater comfort, that my comfort ultimately is is not in the things or the square footage or the toys, as wonderful as all those things may be. And I'm not saying those are bad. I'm just saying that my comfort is not there. My comfort is in my relationship with Christ, who is this comfort, who comforts us with a supernatural comfort so that we, in turn, can be those who comfort others. For the rude idolatry of approval, I experience approval by rejoicing in his gracious approval of me. So we go back to John. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Don't, Don't blow past that. Sit with that for a moment because it is in this that we find the freedom of the cross. It is in this that we find the power to overcome the root idolatries that can drive so much of our behavior, that we marvel in the love of the Father's given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Secondly, the freedom of the cross comes because it frees us of the destructiveness of pride and fear. The destructiveness of pride and fear. James warns us, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All the other end of the spectrum, the fear end, and we return to Romans. For you did not receive, Paul wrote, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Most of us tend toward pride or toward fear. And here's what happens. Performance-based acceptance exasperates those sins in our lives. Uh, Whatever our tendency would be, performance-based acceptance exasperates those sins. So it turns people into modern-day Pharisees, right? So that I, I begin to, it's about my performance, I begin to think, well, I know I'm not perfect, and then the next word, but but I'm not like I'm not as bad as da I I know I'm not perfect, but at least I don't struggle with And we begin to operate subtly at first out of a pride, a pride based on our achievement, a pride that separates us from God, who opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It separates us from other people because, let's face it, most of us don't like hanging around with a proud Pharisee, right? but it also disconnects us from who God created us to be and what he designed us to do. But not only is pride an issue, but human-based performance, acceptance based on that, it tends, on the other hand, to create fear. Fear that I haven't done enough. Fear that I'm not enough, that I haven't performed enough, that I've messed up too many times. And for some of us that, 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 that may even unfold and, and that we, we don't step forward, we don't step forward in faith, we, we just assume God could never use somebody like me with the things that I've thought, with the things that I've done, with my past that, that I begin to fear that maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the exception, maybe God won't accept me, maybe I haven't done enough. The cross sets us free from that. Because the cross reminds us that you could never, ever do enough. And that fear feeds insecurity, which brings us to the third freedom. The cross frees us from insecurity that causes resentment towards God. Martin Luther, the the famous reformer, noted about himself, he said, my fear of God's judgment was producing a hatred for him that was driving my heart farther and farther away from him. Even if my actions looked on the surface more godly. He recognized this in himself. That's because true love for God cannot grow when we are unsure about his feelings for us. All of our service for God will be done with an eye for elevating our status before him. And ultimately, that's not a love for God. That's a love for ourselves. And can I just speak to somebody in the room this morning? Because I've walked alongside folks enough to know that there are a lot of people that fill a lot of seats in a lot of churches that kind of have this insecurity hanging over, and maybe it 's an insecurity because of their past or maybe it's it 's that picture of God that that he's just he 's just kind of waiting for you to mess up so he can drop the hammer. You know folks that anything bad that happens in their life or even their children or sometimes even grandchildren they the, part of their first thought in their gut is, oh, this is because of something that they did 10, 20, 30-plus years ago. And there's this insecurity so closely aligned with the fear, an insecurity that eventually causes resentment toward God because I begin to feel like I can never live up. I'm always afraid that today is going to be the day that God's going to kick the rock over and expose that ugly stuff on the other side and say, aha, I knew it was there all along, and he'll judge us. And instead of drawing near, I find myself increasingly resenting a God like that. The cross sets us free. Paul put it this way in Romans 8 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law, the spirit of life, has set you free has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You've been set free from acceptance that is performance based. That you have a security not in your performance but in the finished completed work of Jesus Christ. It was more than sufficient to cover your sin. More than sufficient to draw you into his forever family. You see religion at its core says I obey therefore I am accepted I obey therefore I am accepted I read my Bible I go to church I give money I have a quiet time I pray I try to live by the ten commandments I obey therefore God I should be accepted then we always know the day i didn't live up to my standards the day i didn't perform i know i run into a situation that just exposes something in my life and i realize i didn't do enough the gospel says i am accepted therefore I obey. I'm accepted, I am a a beloved child of God. I obey not to be accepted. I obey because I am already accepted. I obey because I love the one who has loved me first and loved me most. I obey because I want my life to be aligned with God's design. I obey because I love the Father and I wanna please Him, I wanna honor Him. I want my life to bring honor and glory to Him because I am already accepted. I'm already secure. I obey. William Cowper was a poet, wrote lyrics to hymns we still sing today. One of his poems includes these lines. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into a choice. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ does. It changes a slave into a child, it changes duty, performance based acceptance, into delight, into a choice. You see, treasuring the cross of Jesus Christ does two things simultaneously. It humbles us and it affirms us. It humbles us because we realize I, there, nothing that I can do will ever be enough. And nothing, I, in fact, is what I have done has created not an asset but a deficit. I can't save myself. I can't rescue myself. I can't make myself right with God. I can't earn his love. I can't earn his approval. And that humbles us. Then it affirms us. Because at the cross, I see that God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit treasured me enough for the son to go to the cross. Not based on my performance, but in spite of my performance. I was treasured so much. He valued me, He loved me. It humbles us and affirms us. That's why. Paul, who tried for so many years the acceptance based on performance plan, said, I boast. I glory. I find my identity and my security and my hope and my meaning and purpose in the cross of Jesus Christ by which the world, the world's been crucified to me. I no longer have to have power and control and comfort and and approval. (laughs) And I have been crucified to the world, the world to Me, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Those works don't matter, but a new creation. That when I am in Jesus Christ, I have been born again. I am a new creation. I'm a new creature because of what God has done for me that I could have never, ever, ever done for myself. And as for all who walk by this rule, verse 16, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God, because of the cross, I can have mercy instead of judgment. I can have grace, pardon, release, power, security, identity. I, who was an enemy of God by my sin, can have a peace with God. And because of that, I can know a peace of God. A peace that isn't dependent upon me getting my own way. A peace that isn't dependent on me always being comfortable or always having the power. A peace that isn't dependent upon whether people approve of me today or not. But a peace that is rooted in the affirmation and the acceptance made possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. The enemy isn't greatly concerned if you wear crosses of jewelry. He isn't greatly impressed by your window stickers. But what he will oppose tooth and nail is you and I treasuring the cross of Jesus Christ in our depth of our being because he knows. He knows That when you treasure the cross, it changes everything. When you treasure the cross, it sets you free to be who God created you to be. To do what God desires to do in you and through you in this world. Let us together, as we begin this series, ask God to teach us anew and afresh to treasure the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father, we come before you in these moments and instinctively we are perhaps recognizing our own performance bias, aware of all the times and all the situations where we have failed to treasure the cross, where we have rested not in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but we have rested in our performance, our religiosity, our morality, our intentions. And so, Father, today, would you take us on a journey, not just for a few minutes on a Sunday morning, but a journey that will take us through the rest of the days of our life and throughout eternity, a journey of treasuring the cross. And Father, we just invite you now, Lord, to just show us truth, truth about ourselves. Lord, show us anywhere that we are basing our relationship with you on our performance rather than the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we invite you in your love, in your grace, in your your affirmation of us to, to just unearth those rude idolatries that drive perhaps more of our behavior than we've really ever recognized. Lord, help us to release them to find our true identity, security, and meaning in you. And Father, we just ask you, Lord, would you show us where pride and fear continue to kind of creep up and where they may be bringing destruction into our relationship with you or with others. And Lord, would you set us free, free to obey you, not to earn your love, but to obey you because we already are loved. We are already accepted in the Beloved. I just want to invite you to take just a moment or two more and sit before the Lord.